So you notice glaringly absent, if not in this story, at least in my own lived experience, is my experience. I can see very clearly my father, the well-mannered victim of an imbalanced, hostile feminist. I sympathize with him. My mother, she was a survivor of ongoing persecution and the sexist social oppression of female genius. I felt for her. But the childhood of Matthew David Miller was spent a good bit carefully walking on eggshells quietly and vaguely depressed and sullen despite a cheerful cheerful demeanor. School was a place of solace to me where I received a lot of positive feedback from the fruit of my studies. My teachers seemed to have expectations of me that were clear and that I could meet. And education was one goal that my parents held in common. Both believed in it strongly and wanted it for me and for my brothers. By educational achievements of mine, my mother's intellectual genius was validated and my father fulfilled his mother's mission, which was partly my grandfather's dream on her side of the Americanized immigrant success story. On the other side, my mother lamented that she could not afford to send me and my brothers to Catholic parochial school, which had been a a highlight of her upbringing before an ill-fated transfer to high school for her where she, as a gifted student, began two years behind grade and moved from a supportive urban environment with Catholic nuns into a very rural, newly segregated, newly desegregated school district in Mississippi, where she was teased for her accent, where all her teachers were men instead of women as they had been at the Catholic school. But for me, when I went to school, my parents had found me special services in a gifted program where my sensitivity could find some comfort and individualized support. I bonded strongly with certain teachers. I was eager to please and I conformed religiously to the, and desperately to the expectations. It was easy for me to eke out enough approval and affection there to satisfy me through self-contained behavior and through my detailed imagination and my ability to be involved in the workbooks and in the learning. I also developed a crush on a similarly restrained classmate who, although she wasn't as interested in the stories as me, was an accomplished model. Um, Now, I don't want to brag, but I did win an Easter egg coloring book contest in pre-K and my mother held that up as the consummation of her legacy of creative genius. But Tara wore white lacy dresses to school, to kindergarten, and in a world of blondness, she had dark brown hair like mine. Somewhere between sucking my thumb while lying on my mat napping and learning to tie shoelaces at the learning stations, I obtained Tara's phone number 
and spent one weekend afternoon independently conversing with her father on the other end of the phone before I briefly said hello to the object of my affection. I'm the best kid in the whole school, I proudly reported to her father, who was surprised and I'm sure amused to know that his daughter was getting calls from another kindergarten boy. I was pleased as well, but when I hung up the phone and turned to my mother and explained to her what I had said and saw the look of disapproval on her face, I went into my bed tent and wept for a long time, ashamed of how ashamed she was at me for saying something that she had often told me to be true, that I was the best kid in the whole school to another parent. Mom had a very irritated and competitive stance towards other parents. And so that was another thing I knew to stay out of her way in. So that was one of my earliest jobs as her therapist in this highly compartmentalized kindergarten life. I had inadvertently wounded her, and by extension, the parent of the beauty queen pageant of my kindergarten affection, by revealing a declaration of my secret identity, the smartest kid in the school. But most importantly, I had betrayed myself and my lifelong quest to keep my own well-being upheld by dancing around my mother's insecurities. That's a codependent relationship, and I responded to, to the pain through developing a skewed personality of learning all the hidden rules. And because I was bright and clever and intuitive, I could find them. But it wasn't until I was in second grade in 1990 when mom lost her mother, her mind, and her composure. When she lost patience and she set out to declare and expose the corruption of sexist men wherever and whoever they were in the world, whether at home or in the presidency or in the university politics. She fought this battle from the position of a housewife of a career corporate. She fought this battle as a home-based artist and she fought this battle as a mother of three. I'm sure my father's respectable presence became less and less acceptable to her at home. And if he was not the driving force behind her activism and his actions towards her, whether good or bad, I know he affected her tremendously. He ongoingly insinuated with toxic passive aggression that my mother was making these things up in her mind. And in fact, even my mother's own family believed this. And it may very well have been true to some extent. But that was no excuse for other people not supporting her. Her own father had been very successful. And we'll get into him later in the next episode. But just like the character in a book my mother wrote, Grace in the Land of the Brownies, which was a Peter Pan story of sorts, my mom played the same role that that little girl played when she wanders into a fantasy land and she stops the evil old man who is played in her story by a gorilla by cutting off his hands with a sword so that he can never harm her or others again. 
that was the way mom set out to fight this battle in her mind against men in this world who wanted to oppress female genius. And the sword was her words. And so times with mom, while always exciting and tinged with danger, took on a depth that challenged my little brain with adult world problems. Let me rephrase that. I took on adult world problems. And I cannot tell you what my own needs were at the time. But I am sure, deeply intertwined with what I saw and learned, deep in the veins of my mother's distress, and deep in the role and the position that my father gave me over to, was a sacrificial basket and a sacrificial knife that would be the last invalidation of the righteous anger of my grandmother, the righteous anger of my mother, and the righteous anger of the narcissistically abused. I was groomed as a child and a customer care service member, an offering by a person posing as power and privilege, but not possessing it. The dirty things that have to be done to stay alive in a dog-eat-dog world, if lived out in full, destroys homes at well. In the next episode, I will go into a little bit more about my